has become host to a Kandarian demon. I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. I leave now to avoid this horror, but for myself, I, I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. Okay, uh, let me think. Um, to seven. What suit? Um, diamonds. Uh, no, 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 wait, um, hearts. Oh my god, seven of hearts, you're right! <laughs> hey, Ash, I guessed the card right! Yeah, truly amazing, Linda. I don't know, I don't know, but I think it's really some sort of extra sense or something, you know, like ESP? Okay, try this. Okay, um, it's a seven. I don't believe it! Of spades. <laughs> Queen of spades. Four of hearts. Eight of spades, two spades, jack of diamonds, jack of clubs! Why have you disturbed our sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber? You will die! Like the others before you. One by one we will take you. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. From Peter Jackson to Edgar Wright, this 80s flick has influenced many of today's biggest Hollywood directors, as it should. Famous for its practical effects and then unprecedented amount of gore, this low-budget horror flick about a group of friends who travel to a cabin in the woods and unleash killer demons showed the world the power of guerrilla-style indie filmmaking before it was cool. Often imitated but never duplicated, it still stands as a must-see film for any horror movie fan. So grab your keys to the cabin, keep the cellar door locked, and whatever you do, don't listen to whatever is recorded on that old reel-to-reel audio player, as Larry Mae Wells and I discuss The Evil Dead from 1981 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback. So welcome in, everybody. Uh, got my good friend Larry Mae Wells back. How you doing, Larry I am good. I am wonderful. I love Evil Dead. <laughs> Laramie is way more excited about this episode than I am. I almost just said, look, you just do the episodes. You know how it goes. Just go ahead and just talk about it, and I'll listen later. No, Come on, Tim. Uh, join us. <laughs> no. Join no. us. So let's I, hey, let's just jump right in. We, we're, we got plenty of time. So let's go for it. So when did you see The Evil Dead for the very first time? It was in high school. I can't pinpoint exactly when. So my Evil Dead experience actually went backwards. Okay. Uh, I saw Army of Darkness, the third movie. I saw it first. No clue what Evil Dead was. (laughs) Um, I I believe I even checked it out from Blockbuster. Uh, The cover just looked very interesting to me, kind of thing Mm -hmm. I'd like. So I rented it, and of course at the opening, I'm looking, watching the opening of the movie going, this feels like a sequel. And (laughs) that was the early days of internet and so I remember getting online to try to figure out what it was, and I discovered it was these movies called Evil Dead. I honestly can't remember how I got a hold of it. Uh, part okay. of me, part of me wants to say that I actually found it at the library. Um, okay, I, I, I could have found it at Blockbuster as well, but uh, I got a hold of it, watched it, loved it. Uh, f- I, I think I ended up finding a copy on VHS at Walmart, bought it, got Evil Dead Two. Army of Darkness. I have bought almost every collector's edition and whatnot <laughs> that has come out of it. I love Evil Dead. 
Okay, so yeah, that's that's very well established. Actually, this is a movie that Laramie specifically said he wanted to do an episode on. So uh, this is uh, yeah. So we, I know where I stand. I had never <laughs> seen this movie until we watched until I watched it for the podcast. So I had heard of it, of course. Um, I remember the cover of Evil Dead Two, like the video cover. So I remember seeing that as a you know as a when as a kid at the video store. And I remember Army of Darkness. I haven't seen either of those either. I just, it wasn't, I'm as I've previously stated, horror was not a big, I wasn't a big horror fan. So unless it was Friday the 13th or uh, really Nightmare on Elm Street was mainly the one that I watched, then I really didn't venture much into the other horror movies. A few like really obscure ones like late 80s. But so uh, when was the last time you saw it before the rewatching for this podcast? And how many times have you watched it? For the re- for this broadcast. So that was the thing. So obviously I haven't gotten to watch this in a while. Okay. With, uh, with two small children. Yes. You know, it's not one that I can really, you know, get the chance to put on, uh, as is with many horror movies. Right. Um, but, you know, considering this one's not really one that pops up on, you know, television an awful lot. No. It, no. it really has to be me pulling out my DVD copy. Right. You know, my Blu-ray copy and watching it. Uh, so it's probably been almost a decade probably since I had seen it. Um, okay. but, but when you mentioned when we were going through, like talking about doing a horror movie and we were going mm-hmm. through a list and you said evil dead. Oh, I just lit up. Um, <laughs> I was so excited. And as soon as we picked a date, so in the past week, uh, I have watched it four times. Wow. Just, yeah. Love well, it. the good thing is it's not that long. It's only like eighty minutes, or like yeah, 80, uh, eighty-four minutes, something like that. So you can and burn I, through it pretty quick. So. Yeah, and and I'll be I'll be we'll be fair about it. I watched it the first time straight through. The second mm-hmm. time I watched it with uh, Sam Raimi and Robert uh, Tapert's commentary. Gotcha. The third time I watched it with Bruce Campbell's commentary, <laughs> and then I watched it a fourth time just right before we recorded, so it would be fresh yeah. in my head again. Uh, story origin and pre-production. Uh, I'm going to read what I have, and then, Larry, you can fill in all the blanks that I've forgotten. <laughs> Look, I'll go... You know, I, I've been known on your podcast as the guy who's read the books. Right. Um, obviously, this one doesn't have a book, but I have read and own Bruce Campbell's autobiography, If Chins Could Kill. So I, I have read you know, his story and recollection mm-hmm. of the making of this movie. So you know a lot is what you're saying. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. So writer and director Sam Raimi and lead actor Bruce Campbell actually grew up together and have been friends from an early age. The duo made several low-budget Super 8mm film projects together. Some were comedies like Clockwork and It's Murder. Shooting a suspense scene in It's Murder inspired them to approach careers in the horror genre. After researching horror cinema at drive-in theaters, Raimi was set on directing a horror film, opting to shoot a proof-of-concept short film described by the director as a prototype that would attract the interest of financiers and use the funds raised to shoot a full-length project. The short film that Raimi created was called Within the Woods, which was produced for $1,600. For The Evil Dead, Raimi required over $100,000. So, to generate funds to produce the film, Raimi approached Phil Gillis, a lawyer to one of his friends. Raimi showed him Within the Woods, and although Gillis was not impressed by the short film, he offered Raimi legal advice on how to produce the Evil Dead. With his devi- with his advice in mind, Raimi asked a variety of people for donations and even eventually begged some. Campbell had asked several of his own family members and Raimi asked every individual he thought might be interested. He eventually raised enough money to produce a full-length film, though not the full amount he originally wanted. With enough money to produce the film, Raimi and Campbell set out to make what was then titled Book of the Dead, a name inspired by Raimi's interest in the fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. The film was supposed to be a remake of Within the Woods with higher production values and a full-length running time. Raimi turned 20 just before shooting began, and he considered the project his rite of passage. Anything you want to add to that? No, that that all sounds great. I, I will point out, um, I don't know if you, you had this for later, mm-hmm. but the Within the Woods even had uh, Ellen Sandwich yes. who played uh, Cheryl. She was she was a friend of theirs from high school, um, and so she she was the the victim in uh, in that movie. Mm-hmm. So so they already had you know two fifths of the cast 
ready to go. Well, let's jump into the cast and crew. So uh, Bruce Campbell, of course, they were friends. Uh, I don't have this actually written down, but basically he was like, they made all these films, even though Bruce was just as involved in making them as Raimi was. But they said mm-hmm. he said he made Bruce the actor because he was the guy that all the girls were attracted to. So he just said, you're going to be the star of all the movies because you've got that face that, you know, that is going to bring the audience. So Bruce Campbell put up his family's property in North Michigan as collateral so that Sam Raimi not only could finish the film, but also blow it up to 35 millimeter film, which was required for theatrical release. Raimi was so grateful for his financial contribution. He credited him as a co-producer. When there wasn't any filming going on, Bruce would actually help out with the crew in prepping shots and props around the set. So he was a, all hands on deck kind of guy. And we'll get more into like how, well, I'll just go and say it now. So, and then at one point, uh, most of the actors and crew left or most of the other actors left. And so it was really just Raimi and Bruce filming a lot of scenes with different people as stand-ins. So, or, you know, getting certain shots. So he really stayed through the whole filming process when all the other actors had been gone for a while. So, well, cause it was in, intended to only be a six week, a six week shoot. Um, and it turned into a 12-week shoot. And so the other actors, I mean, they, they, you know, they weren't held to do any more than that six mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, they, they up and left. Yeah. Um, but we did get the wonderful uh, debut of uh, Ted Raimi, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Raimi's little brother. He's, he's like somebody's feet yeah. in one of the scenes. <laughs> right. You know, he's somebody's hand. Right. And he was only 13 years old at the time and you talked about you talked about the money mm-hmm. um so when ted uh flew down to tennessee to spend the time with his brother while uh sam was making the movie his dad had given him like 80 90 bucks mm-hmm. uh, you know spending money and ted was all excited he was like "Ooh, there you know he found out that there was a uh like a comic book store mm-hmm there and he was like oh i'm gonna spend this money at the comic book store give me some comic you know again he's 13 years old this is what he's thinking about and then sam says sam walks up to him one day and says you got any money he goes well yeah i got you know 85 dollars that dad Mm -hmm. gave me he goes all right well cough it up (laughs) he was like what What? i was gonna go to the coffee he goes you want to eat don't you Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah because like you said they they went so long it was a bootstrap um production mm-hmm. you know they're they went from having almost no money to make it to having you know less than no money to finish right, it right i'm not sure if it's in my notes but i know there was one part where they said they said the hardest part of filming it wasn't all the effects and the the conditions it was whenever they ran out of money they would have to stop everything and it could be like anything from like two weeks to like several months before they could get enough money to start shooting again so they said there's some inconsistencies in the shots of like hair length is different and you know things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, uh, hey, when you're, you know, making your first movie, just trying to make it happen, that kind of stuff does happen. So, yeah, because some of the shots were filmed like a few months later, yeah. back in Michigan, mm-hmm. um, like in Sam's garage, yeah, <laughs> was where some of, yeah, yeah. So to acquire more actors for the project, Remy put an ad in the Detroit News. Betsy Baker was one of the actresses who responded, and Ellen Sandwich who appeared in Within the Woods, was also cast. Did I say your name wrong? How do you say it? I'm not 100%. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that sounds about right. <laughs> Richard DeManicor and Teresa Tilly, members of the Screen Actors Guild, used stage names to avoid being penalized for participating in a non-union production. DeManicor credited himself as Hal Deldrich, and Tilly used Sarah York. So, Do you know the story of how he got the name Hal Delrich? No. All right. So, so again, what's his real name? Uh, Richard DeManicor. So there's the rich. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was in college. His roommates were named Hal and Del. <laughs> so it's just him naming all three of the roommates, Hal, Del, Rich. Hey, that makes, that make that works. You know? Yeah. We've, yeah, we've seen worse than but, some worse movies about people trying to come up with names and reading, you know, coffee cans. Maxwell Hauser is one that yeah. comes to mind if you've ever seen, uh, hiding out. But anyway, different podcast. Now, you know, SAG did find out about both of them. Of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I know that they were, they were, I, I know that, uh, Sarah York, Teresa Tilly, whatever, mm-hmm. I know she was, she was suspended, uh, or put on probation or whatever they call it oh, okay. for several months. Um, 
Uh, I'm not sure whatever happened with Rich yeah. um, as to anything, but but yeah, I do know that they both were were found out mm-hmm. and punished in some way yeah. by uh, by SAG. But if memory serves me correctly in doing the research, I didn't put anything really else, any other things they'd been in because really none of them did much after this anyway. No, so Bruce was really the only one. Yeah, the only standout. So yeah, I think Ellen has done a few independent yeah things. But, n- yeah, none of them really went on to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So, as Larry mentioned, the cast of The Evil Dead seems relatively small, with Ash, Cheryl, Scotty, Linda, and Shelley being the only real characters. That being said, there are actually over 20 people credited as cast members. Due to the film's small budget, the working conditions on The Evil Dead weren't the greatest, and actors even occasionally got injured. Betsy Baker's eyelashes got torn off from the makeup removal process and the contact lenses used for the dead eye transformation were extremely uncomfortable. They could only worn for like 15 minutes at a time. Uh, and it took like five minutes to put them in. So that couldn't be a lot of fun. So as I mentioned early, slowly, but surely the actors started leaving the set until only Campbell and the filmmakers remained Sam, Ted and Ivan Ramey, as well as Bruce Campbell and Rob Tapert got their friends to stand in for the actors that had left, which they were able to get away with, since the actors had to be caked in so much makeup. These people are credited as quote-unquote fake shimps, which is a reference to shimps. the Three Stooges. The Three Stooges. Yeah. Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi, huge fans of the Three. There's a, even, I know, we'll probably get into this a little bit later when we're talking about scenes. Mm-hmm. There's actually a whole scene that is dedicated to the Three Stooges. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that, so we'll have to talk about, we'll talk about that as we get there, so... Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Alright, a little bit more about the filming the crew consisted almost entirely of Ramey and Campbell's friends and family. The special makeup effects artist for Within the Woods, Tom Sullivan, was brought on to compose the effects after expressing a positive reaction to working with Ramey. He helped create many of the film's foam latex and fake blood effects and added coffee as an extra ingredient to the traditional fake blood formula of corn syrup and food coloring. Without any formal assistance from location scouts, the cast had to found filming locations on their own. The crew initially attempted to shoot the film in Raimi's hometown of Royal Oak, Michigan, but instead chose Morristown, Tennessee, as it was the only state that expressed enthusiasm for the project. <laughs> it's like Tennessee's like, you want to make a horror movie about people in a cabin? Come on down! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the crew quickly found a remote cabin located several miles away from any other buildings. During pre-production, the 13 crew members had to stay in the cabin, leading to several people sleeping in the same room. The living conditions were notoriously difficult with several arguments breaking out between crew members. All right, let's talk about that cabin. Yeah, go for it. So when they found this cabin, which I still, I'm not 100% sure like how they just found this cabin. <laughs> because it is literally like when they are showing the shots around yeah, the cabin. There's nothing. That's no lie. Right. There's nothing. Um, that That's why there's even the great shot uh, of... Going behind the the old the Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile. Yeah. yeah, behind the Oldsmobile, driving up to the cabin because Sam Raimi wanted to show, like this is out yeah. in the middle of nowhere, right. and even um, the drive, like the drive, is not well worn. Like when they're driving, I was like, you've got to really know where you're going because there's a few like really thin tire marks, but it's not a well worn path, you know, well uh, laid down path to get to the the cabin either. So. Yeah. So they get to the cabin. There is no electricity. Mm-hmm. There's no plumbing or running water. <laughs> right. There's no phone line. And of course, this is 1979. Yeah. So there's no cell phone. So that means there's no contact to the outside mm-hmm. world. Um. Then when they go, you know, it's open. Yeah. Because no one was living there at all that. Apparently, cows from like a nearby pasture mm-hmm. had 
you know, wandered through that area. And so there was just cow manure mm. all over the floors. Oh, wow. And so they had to clean all that up. <laughs> um, they obviously got electricity in it because you see yeah. the lights in the movie. Right. Um, they did get a phone installed so that they could make those calls, but they still did not have any plumbing. Mm-hmm. There was zero plumbing, zero running water. There were no porta potties. This was before (laughs) the days of porta potties. Imagine that. And so I'll just, yeah, just imagine what then had to happen with these long days Mm -hmm. of filming at that cabin. Yeah, Um, Yeah, I think they said a lot of, yeah, a lot of, a lot of within the woods. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think I read that they like, they didn't shower for like several weeks and, you know, because there was no running water. So I'm sure it made for very uh, treacherous, you know, relationships, if you want to call it that, or instances where they, they weren't getting along very well. And he was probably just tired. and Yeah, and they were all living mm-hmm. together. Like, they, there was some other, like, boarding house or something they found uh, there in the main town, and they were all living in the mm-hmm. same, you know, the same house. Right. Uh, some of them all in the same mm-hmm. room. You know, and so, so yeah, this wasn't, this wasn't your, your, the thinking of, I go to film and then when the day's <laughs> over, I go to my hotel room or I go back to right, my house right. and I clean up and all that. No, this, this was, this was truly like just a bunch of people who just went, we're going to make mm-hmm. a movie no matter right. what. Exactly. One of the things that makes this such a great movie. <laughs> so speaking of the, uh, the house and you can. You can confirm or deny because these are two of the stories that I found that seem to be re- repeated in a couple of different things. Uh, the cabin they filmed also has a dark history in real life. Back in the 80s, Raimi revealed that a man had built the cabin about 100 years prior but died a week after he finished building it. Some years later, a grandmother, mother, and a young girl moved into the cabin. Lightning would often strike around the area since the iron ore in the mountains would attract the lightning. One night, the young girl became frightened by a storm and went to her mother's room only to find her dead. Then, she went to her grandmother's room and found her dead also the same night. The girl wandered to a local farmhouse, the residents of which then raised her, but had to deal with her wandering around the woods whenever there was a thunderstorm. To make matters even stranger, a bolt of lightning burnt the evil dead cabin down a week after Raimi and his crew had finished filming it. Well, that's one story. In recent years, it's been revealed that Sam Raimi had the cabin burned following the wrap of principal photography. The crumbling fireplace and part of the chimney are all that remains of the cabin today. So, fact, fiction, just a great story. I think it's, yeah, I think it's all urban legend. Yeah, I it think, sounds very urban legend-ish. I think the stuff that Raimi said about the cabin was to help build the tension and mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the horror element of the cabin. Right. And I honestly, you know, from what I've heard, they did not burn it down. It did burn down. Um, uh, Bruce Campbell, I think, has even talked about how someone actually went there and picked up one of the, like, bricks or whatnot from the fireplace mm-hmm. and actually brought it to him. Uh, <laughs> That's a sign at a at convention. A, at a convention, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, again, I think all of that's just urban legend. Yeah. Well, what's not urban legend is the cabin had no cellar. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So the crew cut the door out of the floor and dug a hole beneath where they laid half of the staircase. The actual cellar was shot in the basement of Ramey, I'm sorry, of Tapert's home. Other elements of the basement, including the room in which they find the book, were shot in Ramey's garage, as I think you mentioned earlier. So, yeah, no, that it's so funny to to go back there because you think about the moment where Cheryl. You know, she's the first one mm-hmm. to get um, possessed. To get possessed, right? And they throw her down the cellar. Mm-hmm. Well, you realize they only threw her like four feet, <laughs> and it was just into a pretty much a hole, right? Um, and there's I, I've seen in some of the special features. I mean, there's times where she completely missed, mm. you know, and hits hits her head. Yeah. Um, you know, and apparently there were two people down there to try to help cushion her fall, right? Apparently, even the shot that they ended up using, like, she's still hitting the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, that's crazy to think, like, when Ash goes down it later, and you see him start going down, and of course, he just has to duck down <laughs> yeah. and go into this hole to not be seen. Right. 
Then they show him going down the stairs, which are in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Then he looks up and he sees the girls looking down at him. Right. And it's like, that's Tennessee. <laughs> Back down to him. That's Michigan. Yeah. They get great, you know, it's that movie, e- great editing. Yeah, movie yeah, magic. Movie magic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Talking about good editing, I'm sure you know this. Before becoming the Oscar-winning filmmaking duo he and his brother Ethan are today, Joel Cohen got his start as an assistant editor on The Evil Dead. Inspired by Raimi's DIY filmmaking, Joel and his brother created a pitch trailer, much like Raimi's Within the Woods, to raise money for their first feature, Blood Simple. While Dan Hedaya stars in the final film, Bruce Campbell actually plays the lead in the two-minute trailer. Yeah. I, I, You know what? I honestly did not know that about the Coen brothers, or at least or forgot it. Right, right. Until I was... I was watching it, uh, prepping for this, and mm-hmm. I saw the I saw their names in the credits, and mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> yeah." Sam Raimi showed the film to anyone willing to watch it, booking meetings with dis- distribution agents and anyone with experience in the film industry. Eventually, Raimi came across Irvin Shapiro, the man who was responsible for the distribution of *Night of the Living Dead* in 1968 and other famous horror films. Upon first viewing the film, he joked that while it "quote unquote" wasn't gone with the wind. It had commercial potential and expressed an interest in distributing it. It was his idea not to use the then-titled Book of the Dead because it made the film sound boring. He also said it. He you didn't want any any movie with a title with a book in it because teenagers won't want to go see it. Makes you think you have to read. Yeah. yeah. Raimi brainstormed several ideas, eventually going with The Evil Dead because he said it was the least worst title. <laughs> Shapiro also advised distributing the film worldwide to garner a larger income, though it required a further financial investment by Raimi, who managed to scrape together what little money he had. All right, so any other thing about pre-production or filming that you wanted to throw in before we jump into favorite scenes? Um, no. Uh, I mean, again, we'll get into probably a lot of this with the the scenes and whatnot, because I, I assume... Even though this isn't a production thing, I assume we're going to talk about the Oldsmobile. Yes, we are. Are we going yeah, to talk yeah. about the Oldsmobile? Okay. Well, well, then we'll save that okay. for later. So, no, I'm good. I'm good. Let's All get right. into some scenes. So, uh, I do not have a favorite scene. <laughs> but, I mean, well, I'm going to talk about things that I liked about the movie. But I'm, I know you're you're chomping at the bit. So, uh, favorite scene, go. Okay. So, with a, a horror movie, favorite scene is a different Yeah. Oh, yeah, know, yeah. Beast. Right, right. Because you're really talking about what scene sticks in your yeah, head. Yeah. What's the, more? I I call a favorite scene. I'm really need to change it to so what's the iconic scene? Like what is the scene when you think? Yeah. When you hear the title of this movie, what scene jumps out to you of that's this movie? So, well, I'm gonna be honest with you there too. Yeah. When someone says Evil Dead, I typically think about stuff from Evil Dead Two. <laughs> um, but once I clear up and I go, nope, just Evil right. Dead. The scene that sticks in my head and makes me cringe every time mm-hmm. I see it is the pencil in the yes. ankle. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah. That to this day. So this was my, one of my go-to movies in okay. college. This was when, you know, a group of friends said, eh, y'all want to watch something? <laughs> I'd be like, y'all ever seen The Evil Dead? <laughs> you know, and then if I could talk them into watching it, we'd be watching it. And as soon as I knew mm. that that pencil into the ankle was yeah. coming that's where instead of watching the television i would just turn <laughs> and watch my friends you want to see that reaction i want to see that reaction because that was and i think it was uh robert tapert who said you know i it needs to go through the achilles right, tendon right uh not just stab him in the foot it needs to go yeah. through the achilles tendon yeah and whatever tom sullivan made created for that foot and for that mm-hmm. ankle, uh, for that pencil to go into that ankle, it just to this day mm-hmm. makes me cringe every time I see it. And that is the one scene that sticks out. Yeah. I would say that, you know, usually, like you said, when you talk about horror movies, favorite scenes or iconic scenes, it's usually the kills. It's it's the, you know, how is this person going to die? And so... That one, of course, I think that you're right. That's the number one. Before you even said it, I was like, this has to be the most iconic because it is the most, I think, kind of cringeworthy or just like it kind of gets you and like, ooh, I know that had to hurt. The, the other one for me is when he pulls the stick out of, uh, was it Scott? Scotty? Yeah. Scotty's, uh, I guess, his abdomen. Yeah. And then it just pours. Yeah. The blood just pours out. And it was just like, I was like, okay, I'm, my stomach got kind of queasy. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're my, this is not real. This is totally fake. So, uh, that, that, yeah, that, that one got me. Yeah. That's a good one too. Yeah. Um, now I'm not going to say this is favorite or anything, but if we're talking iconic and whatnot, we got to talk about Cheryl in the tree. Yeah. I knew you were going. Yeah. I can't call that a favorite scene either, but it, no, it is. No, it's not a favorite scene. It's definitely it, iconic. Yeah. yeah. It's iconic. And the most it's, controversial. Yeah. By far. And Raimi has even said he regrets it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that several times. Yeah. Raimi says he's, he regrets it. Uh, Ellen Sandwich, who, uh, you know, was the one involved in the scene. Mm-hmm. She she apparently wasn't aware of how graphic it was until she saw the movie. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, didn't realize exactly, you know, how it was yeah. going to play out. I think she, she had said that that scene just said she's attacked by the woods. There was no, in the script, it wasn't detailed. And she said basically in filming it, they would just, okay, let's try this. Okay, let's, and it said during the filming, they just kept pushing it further and further and further. And I guess Raymond was just trying to see how far he could take it. And then she figured he would either edit it down or whatever in for the final film. But yeah, she didn't know what it was until she saw it. So yeah, is what I read. Cause, cause she said she saw the, you know, the, the twig, the limb as it's mm-hmm. in between her legs, you know, but I don't think mm-hmm. she realized the way it would be edited to right. you know, Cause they filmed a lot of that in reverse. So they, they were actually pulling the limbs away from her. So mm-hmm. she didn't realize how it would look when it was, you know, going the other going way. The other way. <laughs> You're right. Uh, but I mean, you know, later in life, uh, into the, you know, 2000s when the, the movie kind of hit a, a new peak with, you know, movie buffs mm-hmm. and, and all that. She has, you know, she, lo- she looks upon it and laughs now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and they do kind of make fun of it uh, from time to time. But, but yeah, so again, not a great scene, but it's definitely one that sticks in your head when you see this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And another one of the many reasons, I'm sure you've got notes on this, um, why this movie is not and never has been rated. The film was initially released in the United States by New Line Cinema with an X rating, revised to NC-17 in 1994. Home video copies produced by Anchor Bay Entertainment are uncut and unrated because the licensing studio Renaissance Pictures was not contractually obligated to provide an MPAA rating. So, yeah, it's it usually says it's either unrated or, like I think when I rented it, it was just TVMA, or I don't think it was NC-17. Um, it might have just been unrated. I don't remember yeah. now. But it wasn't rated R, and it never was rated R. And I think on the original poster, when you said you have a, a, a poster in your basement, right? Yes. In your... Yeah, I mean it's a it's I think, a copy. It's not. Yeah. It's a copy, yeah. But I think I saw on the very bottom it says you know the producers uh, strongly. Uh, I can't remember how it's worded. Basically saying the producers say no one under seventeen should see this film. Yeah. Like it, it didn't technically have a quote unquote rating, but it was posted on the it was written on the poster like if you're under seventeen you do not need to see this movie. Which at that time that was what we considered an X rated movie. Yeah. Um, even though at that time that was primarily what pornography was. Yeah. It wasn't something else and that's exactly why they didn't want it to be rated because they were worried it would get that that x rating or that nc-17 rating and you know people Mm -hmm. would think one way about it and not the other Mm -hmm. plus also you mentioned their uh love of the the drive-in movies a lot of Mm drive-in movies were not rated right back in those days um you know that was before uh you know the rating system really you know hunkered down and said you know you don't get shown unless you're mm-hmm. you're approved by the motion motion picture association right, right. like in in today's terms you would call this an indie like it's an independent film oh, yeah. it wasn't a studio wasn't a mainstream movie so it really wasn't trying to follow their rules and it's very evident in the final project i mean i didn't watch this and say like oh this is definitely a studio movie this you know it's going to follow the same kind of tropes of things that you would see in a, in a typical horror movie. It's very much like an independent movie or, you know, I don't want to call it a B movie. Um, it's more, I would call it more low budget, which that's totally different than B movie. And then sometimes they get lumped in the same kind of category. But yeah, I would consider this more of an independent film, which I'm sure Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness went more of the studio route than independent. Would yeah. you say that? Oh yeah. And I mean, Evil Dead 2, at least has a little bit more it 
even though it was more studio made and had a bigger budget, obviously bigger mm-hmm. budget, it still held true to the original. Right. Army of Darkness just got way too movie studio heavy. Gotcha. Um, and I mean, I love all three, but there's definitely a a separation of Army of mm-hmm. Darkness from Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two. And sadly, we will never get to talk about Army of Darkness because it came out in the '90s. <laughs> but we can do Evil Dead Two. We can, and we will. I'm sure. If you have anything to say about it, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so any other scenes before we jump into some trivia stuff? Um, I mean, again, there's a lot of the homages to um, – I feel I said that word wrong. Uh, but there's, <laughs> there's a lot of homages to uh, other movies. So I, I love the establishment at the beginning when Scott's walking around – the place so they let you see yeah. this is what the cabin looks like and he goes into the shed and here's the shed and what the shed looks yeah. like and they go yeah. ahead and establish here's our location yeah well oh, when yeah, he yeah. goes into the shed you see all this stuff like you see these bones hanging yeah it just seems oh, yeah, yeah. really random mm-hmm. but it was intended to be an homage to texas, texas chainsaw, chainsaw massacre right yeah um, a lot of homages in this yeah definitely uh night of the living dead was a big mm-hmm. homage because of the the group of people isolated inside of a cabin, you know, the one location, just like Night of the Living Dead was. Um, mm-hmm. I love that this also started a little kind of uh, anything you can do, I can do better with him and Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in The Hills Have Eyes, which was also a very low-budget, mm-hmm. you know, guerrilla-style uh, uh, filmed movie by Wes Craven, he had featured a torn copy of Jaws. Right. And it was almost what a lot of people believe was Wes Craven's way of saying, you thought Jaws was scary. <laughs> right. Here's this movie. Well, so Sam Raimi did did that back to him. And mm-hmm. so in the basement, in the cellar of this yeah. <laughs> cabin that's out in the middle of nowhere, there's for <laughs> some reason a rip poster, a rip poster yeah. of The Hills Have Eyes. And yeah, Sam yeah. Raimi's way of saying, I'm making something scarier. And, of course, mm-hmm. it went back and forth. Uh, in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, they are watching Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in Evil Dead 2, at one point when Ash goes into the cellar, Freddy's glove is hanging up <laughs> in the cellar. So it was kind of this fun back and, back forth, and forth between yeah. Wes Craven and, uh, and Sam Raimi. But going also into, I'd mentioned earlier... There was the homage to Three Stooges. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. each one of these movies actually has a Three Stooges moment. And the second one, it's when Ash fights his hand, um, okay. which I'll leave that for, for you to see later. <laughs> and then in the third one, it's very much uh, Three Stooges because the third one's more of a comedy horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read that they got more campy. Yeah. And so in the third one, there's a whole thing with Ash fighting off a bunch of these skeleton hands that are popping out of graves and they literally mm-hmm. do the slaps and the eye pokes and mm-hmm. all that, even with the sound effects from the Three Stooges. <laughs> but in this movie, the homage is uh, to a Three Stooges bit, uh, a short called A Plumbing We Will Go, where the Three Stooges are plumbers. And they're working on this house and they connect the pipes wrong so that the water starts coming out of the light sockets, starts filling into the light bulbs. Okay. And, start, okay. and so in this movie, they did the horror version of that. Right. Where right. blood starts pouring out of the mm-hmm. the sockets and blood fills the light bulbs and, mm-hmm. and all that. So that was Sam Raimi because Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, huge Three Stooges fans. And that mm-hmm. was their little homage to the Three Stooges. So, so just some other little scenes to throw oh, in yeah, there. Yeah. As to uh, to point out in this movie, yeah. 
Yeah, I, now you say that, I, that was a pretty big scene too. Like that whole, the blood, you know, the projector mm-hmm. and the uh, the uh, the projector, the light bulb, the the pipe. Uh, yeah, that was. It was just like, how much blood can you put on screen? Yeah. How much movie? blood can you cover Bruce Campbell in? Because yeah, yeah, that exactly. pipe when that pipe blows over top of him, yeah. that's just yeah. a bucket of yeah. food color, food, red food colored corn syrup that covered him. And he's got stories about that where, oh yeah, yeah, you know, he would. Uh, of course, it's freezing because um, they're filming in November, December, mm-hmm. uh, and he. He goes out to try to warm up, I think it was, and the corn syrup hardened up on him yeah. to where he he could not get it off. And mm-hmm. he I think he actually even ripped one of his shirts yeah. because it, yeah. it was stuck on there so much. He used to, when they would get back to the house, he used to hop into a hot shower fully clothed so mm-hmm. that he could melt all the corn syrup off of him. I believe it. I believe, yeah. I think I read like he. They said he would ride in the back of a pickup truck at the end of filming because he was so covered with blood that he didn't want to be seen by people on the on the roads. And then even going back to we were talking about the cold weather. I don't think I wrote this one down, but I thought it was interesting. They said one of the reasons that they went to Tennessee was he was con- Ramey was concerned it would be too cold mm-hmm. in Michigan when they were filming, and it turned out when they filmed it. They had a cold snap in yeah. Tennessee, and it was the warmest that it had been that time of year in Michigan. Yeah. So it was like, it didn't matter where he was going, it was going to be cold. Yeah, well, so. they actually, because uh, you were talking about the way they collected money, their intent was to get all the money in spring and then shoot in summer. Okay. But because, like you said, it was so hard for them to get money, it pushed it back mm-hmm. all the way into winter, you know, gotcha. November, December. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. he was like, well, let's go to Tennessee because, you know... It's the South. It's warmer. Yeah, it'll be warm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but didn't work yeah. out for them. Yeah, Tennessee in the wintertime is not as warm as people think it might be. So, And when you know that and you look back at, for instance, uh, that Cheryl scene when she runs out into the woods and she's oh, running yeah, yeah, around yeah. the woods in the uh, the button-up shirt and just her, mm-hmm. her underwear, like mm-hmm. you just go, dear Lord, she had to be freezing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, one that now if you talk about we talked about it didn't follow the tropes, but there were some there were a couple of tropes, and that's one where there's a sound out in the woods. Let me go investigate without telling anybody I'm going out to investigate. I was like, come on, girl, don't be that stupid. But you know, it's you they have to make the dumb decisions to to move the story along. But that it made me chuckle. Yeah, but it's also like, where else are you gonna go? Yeah. <laughs> but look, you think you hear a voice outside the window. Hey guys, I think I hear a voice outside the window. Who wants to go with me? Let's go check it out. Or you think you know? Just anyway, I digress. Yeah, but as it as the uh, the the entity, whatever you want to call it, clearly showed, yeah. it wouldn't matter because it's gonna could just crash through the window and come after oh, you. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. All right, so we want to talk about the Oldsmobile. So let's kind of jump into that. Over his years as the director, Raimi's 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88, originally bought by Raimi's father for the family when Sam was 14, has played Ash's car in the Evil Dead movies. It was Uncle Ben and Aunt May's car in the Spider-Man movies. It was Annie's car in The Gift in 2000. Kate Blanchett's Gan- yeah. yeah, and Mrs. Ganusha's car in Drag Me to Hell in 2009 and has made many cameos in nearly all of his other movies. Yeah, uh, it was uh, in Darkman, which was his first mm-hmm. big like studio movie. Um, yeah. It's it's a blink and you'll miss it uh, th- thing, but it's when Darkman's hanging off the helicopter. Mm-hmm. They dip him down, and he almost is hit by the uh, <laughs> the Delta. Oldsmobile, yeah. Um, what's... I read somewhere that it's actually in... Um... The Quick and the Dead, yeah. which is a western. So there's a and rumor. I'm like, how did they? Yeah, yeah. It's a I'm rumor, like, obviously, but it is believed that Sam put it into the movie, and then he covered it with a uh, a wagon. Okay. And so it's apparently there. You just can't see. it. You just it. can't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cheating. That's cheating. I'm I'm looking forward to see it in a uh, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh yeah, it's gonna be real fun. Look, I actually, I actually think we're gonna see Ash in that movie. 
<laughs> I really do. You think he's gonna think he's gonna cross multi, cross universes? I think it'll be a here? quick scene. It'll be a little mm-hmm. reference, but I do think we are gonna see Ash in that movie. That would that would be kind of cool. That would be that would be kind of cool. So so just to see who'd believe it. You can, once again, you you got more research, so I'm, I'm gonna take your 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 stance on this one. Look, Can't, it's not research. It's I've been in love with this movie <laughs> for twenty something years. Like, right. So Campbell and Raimi spread a rumor that Campbell broke his jaw when Raimi accidentally slammed his camera into Campbell's face while filming one of the final shots. Campbell put the rumor to rest at Dallas Cam- at the Dallas Comic-Con, saying the lie that we put out was that the final shot where the evil entity comes racing through the cabin and crashes into my face. The big lie is that Raimi rode a motorcycle through the door, all the doors and he just had to hit me. I was willing to do it as long as we got the shot, took it for the team, but no. No broken jaw. Yeah, so that's another story where, depending on who you ask, um, <laughs> what what actually happened. So that shot is amazing. Yes, yes. Um, and the way they pulled it off, uh, they had different crew people by each door. Mm-hmm. And Sam would yell a cue, and they'd swing the door open so that Sam could come through. Now... If you listen to Sam Raimi tell the story, he says he was on a bicycle. Okay. And he's riding a bicycle through. Mm-hmm. Bruce will now just say it was just Sam running. <laughs> like, it's just him running. So, which which story is true, I don't know. But yeah. no matter which story is true, that is an amazing shot. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, I, before we before we finish, I, even though I don't have a favorite, necessarily a favorite scene, and there, we talked about iconic scenes, but... The film is definitely worth seeing, and I guess if you've made it this far, the spoiler alert is over. Not that we really spoiled that much. I mean, there's not that much to spoil in this yeah. movie, really. But um, you, it, 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 it's so smart. Like oh, yeah. the shots are so smart, and it's like you could see Sam Raimi's eye and his direction were unique then, and you, you've seen it getting, you've seen it him improve that as he's made other movies but um it's very distinctive and even with once again being a low budget movie and they really had to be very creative like i know they talked about they didn't have a steady cam so yeah. they had like pieces of wood with like uh uh what they say so, like so uh, yeah the opening shot yeah is, over the water and yeah it's bruce campbell in a mm-hmm. canoe yeah and sam has the camera strapped to a two by four Mm-hmm. Hanging it over the edge of the <laughs> the um, the canoe while Bruce is is paddling. That's paddling. how they get that shot over the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, the shot at the end is him with the camera mounted in front of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the the Evil Dead force comes through the window, it is the camera mm-hmm. with a a like a T bar two by four in front of it where it actually mm-hmm. shatters through. Right. As the camera's coming. And by the way, it wasn't a fake window. That was yeah, a was, real yeah. window. <laughs> yeah. Just hurling glass at the actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um But but yeah, but that's what's great. Now you say Raimi got better. I don't know if it's so much he got better or he got more money to do the things he wanted to do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was able to yeah. He was able to have the tools to do it without having to kind of come up with it on the fly. But yeah. More yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because there's a lot when you watch the Spider-Man movies. And I will actually say, I think Spider-Man 2 shows mm-hmm. a lot more of Raimi as yeah. Raimi yeah. than the first. I think the first Spider-Man, because it was his like biggest movie mm-hmm. um, to date, I think he was reined in a little bit. But then once the success, success of that one happened, mm-hmm. he got to be a little bit more of himself Yeah, in, yeah. um in Spider-Man two. And so there's a lot of things in Spider-Man two that I'm looking at going, that's Sam Raimi. That is Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Sam. I love quick and the dead. I love dark yeah. man. Um, you know, I, I, you know, obviously the Spider-Man movies, I'm very excited to see, uh, the Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. You know, a lot of his, um, a lot of his movies are just so, they're just awesome to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is the main thing. Yeah. Like it's just being able to watch them, and that's that's ultimately where I, you know, low budget, but Evil Dead was low budget, mm-hmm. but it showed just this amazing, inventive, creative yes. director. Exactly. 
And exactly. the camera shots, you know, some people talk about the overuse of the canted angles, the, the slanted diagonal yeah, yeah, yeah. angle. I think, though, he he uses them so well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he knows it, when to use them. Yeah, because it definitely sets, it helps to set the atmosphere. It helps to, it's it's telling a story. He's not doing it just to be cool, I think. It, it has a purpose. Like, it's supposed to make things feel off kilter. Much like we talked about Stanley Kubrick and The Shining, there were certain things that Kubrick did with the camera to throw you off as an audience member to add to to add the suspense or add the yeah. mystery of of what he of the story he's telling. So, you know, aside from other directors we talked about probably more on your podcast than mine that, you know, do stuff just to be cool or just to, you know, have a certain look. Uh this one I think I think I agree Ramey's using that but he's using it with a purpose he's not just doing it to try to be cool i think it has a purpose so yeah i mean even when it's not in terms of suspense and whatnot on you know the stuff in the quick and the dead he used them mm-hmm. uh just to you know kind of build the the tension in the gunfights yeah. yeah and you know i just he's just such a great director um he's had he's had some bad ones i'm you know don't don't get me oh, wrong yeah, on yeah. That. every director has yeah Oz the Great and the Powerful was not a great movie. <laughs> no. Um, so he has had bad ones, but he's still, he's one of those directors that, for me, for the most part, is just consistently good mm-hmm. when he directs something. Um, so, yeah, I just absolutely love him as a director. I love what he's able to do. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I love this movie. <laughs> All right, well, let's start wrapping it up, talk about box office and critical reception, which is kind of weird because it had a limited theatrical release on October 15th, 1981. Although a low-budget horror film, The Evil Dead, attracted the interest of producer Irvin Shapiro, who helped screen the film with the 1982 can... What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers... And Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle... And Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Film Festival and horror author Stephen King gave it a rave review which helped convince New Line Cinema to serve as its distributor. Though a modest commercial success in the United States, grossing just $2.4 million, it was a bigger success internationally, grossing more than $27 million for a worldwide gross of $29.4 million. Not a bad return for a budgeted estimated only $350,000. And the crazy thing is, is that I, some of the actors... I don't think saw the movie mm-hmm. until many years later. Oh wow! Because it took so long for it to actually yeah. hit theaters, and like you said, they had already left, uh, you know, filming, mm-hmm. and I don't even think they realized when it was done. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because like it's funny because a couple of different sites like most say it, it came out in 1981 because that's when it I guess quote unquote premiered, but other places have it as 1984. 83. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've heard 83, yeah. 83, 84, because, yeah, it did take, it took a while for it to uh, to kind of roll out and get other places, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's, the Stephen King quote they talk about yeah. was was a, a gift, so. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't I don't think you said it, the, the quote is the most ferociously original horror film mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah. When you have Stephen King saying that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, on the top of every poster, that poster mm-hmm. I have. It's it's yeah. on the top of it. Oh yeah, I every mean, poster I've seen for it has that, or the of the original posters, they all have that yeah. pretty front and center for you to see. But yeah, of course. And I think at that point he had already done Carrie and Christine, I think. So he already had a couple of his books made into movies. So yeah. they they well, weren't. 
Yeah, it even says on the poster, it says Stephen King, author of Carrie and The Shining. So, Raimi, talking about the theatrical uh, release, Raimi opted to have the most theatrical premiere possible using custom tickets and wind tracks set in the theater, and inspired by William Castle, ordered ambulances outside the theater to build atmosphere. So, going for that full experience when you go to the theater to see it, so... I ain't mad at it. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 95% on the tomato meter and an 84% audience score. IMDb has a 7.5 out of 10 with a 71 on Metacritic. Uh, I'm pretty sure I already know where this is going, but are you more Rotten Tomato or IMDb? Definitely Rotten Tomato. Yeah. <laughs> IMDb, IMDb people are just too snobbish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, once for, once again, for me, I think, Watching it as a film from a director, like being his first film, that's the appeal to me. Like I would watch it again just to just to see those shots again. Like the the gore and the violence oh, and stuff yeah. doesn't. I mean that that's not going to appeal to me. But it's still cool. Like even those effects at the end when the uh, when the creatures are melting or the bodies are melting, and you can tell yeah, the you, stop motion. Yeah, the stop motion. Mm-hmm. You can tell what it is. But thinking about when that was done and what they had to use to do that, it's like, man, that's better than some some big budget stuff that they had around the same time. So they didn't they didn't skimp where they they didn't skimp in the places that they, that needed the the money for those kind of effects. Yeah. And I think they said some of that stuff took almost uh, hours, if not days, to film this, that stuff. Right? Yeah. And what I also love is he purposefully because both of them talk about it in the commentary, he purposely made the movie so that it, would, it wouldn't it would be locked into a ter- certain time. Right, right. You know, yes, they're driving a 73, you know, Oldsmobile, mm-hmm. but, I mean, people drive old, old cars all the time. Right, right. None of their clothes are... Overly dated. ...the fashion of the right, time. Right, right. They do talk about uh, Ash's shoes when you see him coming down the stairs. That those, those type of shoes aren't worn anymore. <laughs> right. But again, he's just wearing a like blue, plain blue mm-hmm. button-up shirt with khakis. You know, the girls are just wearing like a simple blouse, mm-hmm. and you know, nobody is dressed or there's no look of anything that says this is happening at this time. Right. Which I think is one of the great things that allows this movie to still be such a favorite mm-hmm. now, forty years later. Right. Right. You know, and that's what's just so great about this movie, as well as the fact that, yes, you know, now that we've had movies like Hostel and Saw and all these movies, you know, Cabin Fever, Mm -hmm. which is clearly inspired (laughs) by Evil Dead. Right. You know, that have a lot of these, you know, gore and gruesome and whatnot. But for 1979, 1981, 1983, wherever you want to place this movie, this movie was raw. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, this movie said, we are a horror movie, and we are coming at you full force. Right, right. And and I love that, because it's also, it's a slow build. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not until 45 minutes, I think, into the movie before we actually start getting the possessions mm-hmm. and all. Yeah. And and that's and then as soon as that happens, it is just It, it rolls now, quick, yeah. Go! Oh, yeah. And that's what's so great about it. So great about it. Yeah. So, knowing that you didn't get a chance to see this one in the theater, if they ever release this in the theater... Yes. Because <laughs> I'm just thinking about, you know, yes. uh, this this being one of those kind of theater experience type of movies, like to see it with a group of people and, you know, just to have it on the big screen and the, the, the sound, you know, quality and stuff. So, yeah. I would, yeah, e- yeah. Even if it's one of those midnight showings where the audience kind of participates along and yeah. all that, I'm still fine with that. Because... <laughs> That's one of the great things. You know, like I said, I liked watching it with my friends in oh, college, yeah, yeah. and I liked watching their reactions mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, and so even with a whole group of people who know it word for word and you know shot for shot, mm-hmm. I'd still find that so enjoyable. Yeah, cool. All right, well, let's uh, talk about sequels and reboots. The Evil Dead has developed a reputation as one of the most significant cult films, cited among the greatest horror films of all time, and one of the most successful independent films, as I said earlier. Evil Dead 2 was filmed and released in 1987 and was also a box office success. A second sequel was released in 1993. It was simply called Army of Darkness, as we spoke of before. The Evil Dead has spawned a media empire. A video game adaptation of the same name was for the Commodore 64 in 1984. 
as was a trilogy of survival horror games in the 90s and early 2000s. Evil Dead Hail to the King, Evil Dead A Fistful of Boomstick, and Evil Dead Regeneration. Ted I, Raimi played did voice- every, I played every one that was released <laughs> on PlayStation. Ted Raimi did voices for the trilogy, and Campbell returned as the voice of Ash. The character Ash became the main character of a comic book franchise. I'm sure Laramie knows this too. Ash has fought both Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash series. So can we talk about that for a minute? Sure, go ahead. So, you know, you had already mentioned that uh, Evil Dead was distributed by New Line. Yeah. And of course, New Line is the house that Freddy built. Exactly. And uh, later acquired um, Jason. Thus, we Mm -hmm. had, you know, Freddy's glove come to grab Jason's mask at the end of Jason Goes to Hell. And then, of course, that led up to we're finally going to get Freddy vs. Jason. Mm -hmm. They actually approached them about it, the movie being... Freddy okay. versus Jason versus Ash. Oh wow! Okay. Um, where Ash was, you know, the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and Raimi and and Bruce as well turned it down because they they had intentions of doing a fourth movie, of doing an Evil Dead four. Right. And they were worried that by putting Ash into Freddy versus Jason, they would ruin their franchise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I don't know what then allowed them to agree to let it be a comic book. A comic book, right? Well, um, yeah. But they, you know, they thought it would ruin the franchise. That they wouldn't be able to do an Evil Dead Four because uh, of you know continuity issues and whatnot, <laughs> like the Jason and Freddy movies have ever worried about continuity. Um, <laughs> right. Right. But uh, but of course, Evil Dead Four never happened, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you're about to get into this. You know. They were later able to come back in a television show, mm-hmm. and then of course the the series got rebooted in what was it 2013, uh, 2015, 15. Okay, yeah. So uh, so yeah, we talked about that series. Then Herbert West and Army of Darkness versus Reanimator, another one of Laramie's favorites. Uh, zombie versions of the Marvel comics superheroes in Marvel Zombies versus the Army of Darkness. I actually and have that comic. I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> And has even saved the life of a fictional Barack Obama in Army of Darkness, Ash Saves Obama. (laughs) In January 2008, Dark Horse Comics began releasing a four-part monthly comic book miniseries written by Mark Verheiden and drawn by John Bolton based on The Evil Dead. Uh, This was my favorite one. The film has also inspired a stage musical, Evil Dead the Musical, which was produced with the permission of Ramey and Campbell, the musical has run on and off Broadway since its inception in 2003. A remake of the film was released in 2013, directed by Fidel Alvarez, maybe, and produced by Ramey and Campbell. It features actress Jane Levy as the main character, with Ash not appearing. Campbell does make a brief, uncredited cameo appearance at the end of the film in a short post credit scene. I'm sure you've seen that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I own it. Of course well. you do. It's not... It, it, it's It's okay. Yeah. It's... Obviously, it does not hold a candle to the original, um, but it was a good kind of take on the Evil Dead. They obviously kind of make some changes. Um, the characters aren't named the same, mm-hmm. although part of me was like, "What? you know, his name was Ashley. Like, <laughs> right. it could be a girl. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, they tie in a little bit of the elements of Evil Dead 2 because the infamous chainsaw... Right, uh, right. Where he he cuts his hand off and then he attaches it to a chainsaw, and that's now the iconic look of Ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't in the first movie, right? Um, but they did put it into the yeah. remake and had Jane Levy's character attach her her stub arm mm-hmm. to a to a chainsaw for one one little blow towards the end. Gotcha. Um, so it's it's a decent movie. Um, it's a good, like I said, it pays tribute to the original. But if you've seen the 2015 Evil Dead, don't let that discourage you if you didn't like it from seeing the original, because the original is so much better. Gotcha. So, and then as we mentioned, in 2015, an ongoing television continuation of the films called Ash vs. the Evil Dead premiered on the Stars Network. Sam Raimi wrote and directed the pilot and served as an executive producer. Campbell reprised his role as Ash during the series' three-season run. So... And can can we point out the fact that Bruce Campbell's like fifty years old now playing <laughs> Ash? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, he's definitely had a he definitely had a good career. 
I mean, he probably wasn't as big of a star as people thought he was going to be, but he's he's had steady work. I mean, I knew him from uh, the USA show. Was that slow? Not slow burn. No burn notice. Uh, burn notice. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And I loved him in that. I think that was the first thing I really recognized him in. Did you ever so, see the the television show he had in like the late nineties called Briscoe County, The Adventures of Briscoe yes. County Junior? Yes, I did watch that show. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot too. That, that I go back. That was probably the first thing I saw him in, but yeah. And then, you know, Sam Raimi and Robert Tapert were also behind the Hercules and Xena television shows. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. and Bruce, both Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi had reoccurring <laughs> characters on both of those shows. That makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, Sam, uh, Bruce Campbell even had a really bad, like, syndicated show in the early 2000s called Jack of All Trades. Uh, okay. If you ever want to look that one up, that was a really random one. But we talked about the Oldsmobile appearing mm-hmm. in uh, Bruce appears in almost all of Sam <laughs> Raimi's movies. He's in all three Spider-Mans playing a different, different character. character. Yeah, I think yeah. I remember that. I remember that as well. I haven't watched those Spider-Man movies in a long time. I may need to go back and and watch those again. So, yeah, I think the more more famous one was the second one because he's the Usher. When uh, Mary Jane's having her her play, oh yeah, yeah, and Peter shows up late, mm-hmm. and he's the usher who won't let him in because you know <laughs> you, you can't let someone into the theater once the show has started. Right, right. And uh, and I think that's the biggest part he has, but he's uh, he's the ring announcer uh, in the wrestling, the wrestling match, match in the first, in the first that's one. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I can't yeah. remember who he is in the third one or where he, where he pops up in the third one, but uh, yeah. but yeah, he's in. He makes little appearances, and his brother uh, Ted, same thing. Ted Ramey's actually one of the uh, uh, one of the reporters or staff workers at the Daily Bugle in all three of those Spider-Man movies. Cool. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much, Laramie, for being a part. I know that you could talk about this for another two and a half hours, probably, but we'll cut it. We'll cut it at this point. Join us. <laughs> Join us. I think we've covered this one uh, pretty well. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Laramie, for being a part. Always a pleasure to have you on the uh, episode. We'll see you guys next time. Join us. Who said that? It was Sam Raimi. (laughs) Did you know that? That voice actually is Sam Raimi. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating Leave us a stellar written review and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback.